Almighty God, would you come and inhabit the praise of your people this morning? And would you overshadow us by your spirit to make alive these words from your scripture in our hearts so that it might bear fruit in our lives uh, for our good and for the good of those we encounter each day. And so we commend ourselves to your love and care this morning. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Good morning. Jenna, thank you. That was a long psalm, and you did amazing. And you can all congratulate yourselves as well. I think everyone did well. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to, to 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, our lesson this morning, which Lisa read so well for us just a moment ago. We're continuing our series through this letter that the Apostle Peter wrote to Christians who were experiencing cultural and social pressure to give up their love and allegiance to King Jesus. And in our lesson this morning, Peter addresses the topic of suffering, the topic of suffering, and in particular, suffering unjustly for doing what is good, what he identifies in chapter 3, verse 16, as your good behavior in Christ. And so Peter's concern specifically is suffering that arises from living out the good, the true, and the beautiful way of life that God calls us to in Christ, the way of life in God's kingdom that is here now, but is we're, we're advanced signs of it in our lives. We're waiting for that, the fullness of that kingdom to come, but we're living out the kingdom life now. This way of life inevitably creates pinch points with cultures that are not submitted to King Jesus because this way of life expresses values and priorities, agendas and goals that, are off, that often differ from or are at odds with those of the dominant culture within which we live as Christians. As a result, Christians have often suffered for living out their love and loyalty to Jesus in pursuing what is good, true, and beautiful, no matter the culture. Now, we are on the tail end of a very exceptional, exceptional, very small moment in history in the West, especially here in America. Christians have not typically experienced much suffering here, whether in its soft forms of social or cultural pressure, like loss of standing, employment, respectability, or in harder forms of outright persecution, imprisonments, beatings, martyrdom. But for most of the world and for most of history, being a Christian has not been safe. It has not been safe. I get reminded again of, of Lewis's description of Aslan, that he is, a, he, is not, uh, he is not safe, but he is good. And he leads us in a way of life that is not safe, but it is good. So for most of the world and for most of history, being a Christian has not been safe. As Stephen Neal says in his history of Christian missions of the first three centuries, when the church was spreading like wildfire, every Christian knew sooner or later he might have to testify to his faith at the cost of his life. Even today, it is, not, it is normal. It is normal in most places to suffer for being a Christian. We often are praying for folks in northern Nigeria, for folks in China, and throughout the world who are Christians who are experiencing those pinch points acutely. To be safe and respected as a Christian is the exception, 
not the rule. Knowing what Jesus taught in Matthew 24, verse 9, that his disciples would be hated by all nations, hated, such strong language, by all nations because of their love for him, Peter desires to prepare those Christians to whom he is writing for the suffering that they will likely experience in their lives. When they are seeking to do good by maintaining their love and loyalty to Jesus, living out, living, acting, good behavior in Christ. So how does Peter seek to prepare us as Christians to suffer for doing what is good? That's the question that's before us. That's the question the text presupposes. And Peter prepares us then for suffering in two related ways. First, he situates our suffering within the story of God's grace that transforms our lives from death to life, from despair to hope. And second, he situates our suffering within the true story, the true story, not not a make-believe story, but the true one of God's creation that finds its climax in Jesus' victory through suffering. What Peter is doing is seeking to ingrain within us a deep and thick knowledge of the nature of God's activity in this world and in our lives. A deep and thick knowledge of the nature of God's activity in this world and in our lives. What do I mean then by a knowledge of the nature of God's activity? This is what I mean. Both in our individual stories of God's grace and favor, his blessing in our lives, and in the creation-wide story of Christ's victory, we see this pattern, this pattern. Suffering, trial, testing, those are the words that Peter uses here, precede glory, honor, praise. Right? Those are also the words that Peter used. I'm not, trying, I'm not going elsewhere for the language here. I'm using his language. Suffering, trial, testing precedes glory, honor, and praise. That's a pattern that we see in the life of God, especially incarnate in Jesus. And that's a pattern that we see in believers. Look with me, if you would, at verses 13 and 15 there in 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter says to us, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous or enthusiastic for what is good. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Remember, remember back to the last sermon we did in our, our series in First Peter, uh, Kelly said that we were blessed to be a blessing. And this is probably not what you had in mind when he just said that, is that you, you quite possibly could be blessed by suffering. Picking back up. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, as set apart above all others. He's the one we give our ultimate love and allegiance to. Honor him, set him apart as holy, and this is how you do that, by always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. The question that will be asked when we endure suffering for doing what is good, right? Good in the eyes of God, when in many cases, uh, doing that, that suffering, doing what is good, when in many cases there will be an easy way to avoid such suffering. So when, when we endure suffering in cases where there's an easy way out, just don't do that. Just don't believe that. Don't promote that. Don't say that, right? There's an easy way out. The question will be why. Why do you do that? That's it. That's, you don't have to do that. You don't have to suffer like that. Just 
Just say no, or just say you believe this or that. The question really is, what reasoning, what calculus are you using? Because it appears insane, it appears deluded, or even hateful to those who do not share it. And here's the reasoning. Here's the hope that we must be always ready to give a defense for when asked. Look with me at chapter 1. We've got to go back because this is what Peter this is what Peter's looking at. Beginning in verse 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The living hope hope we receive is the new life of God's kingdom that is guaranteed for us because God raised Jesus from the dead. We now have access because of his resurrection and ascension. We now have access through faith and by the indwelling Holy Spirit of God to this new creation life, which we are called to live out in obedience to King Jesus as we wait to receive our full inheritance that is being kept safe for us. So that's part one of the reasons that we endure suffering. We have a living hope. We've been born a second time unto God. This time we've been born again to a living hope now because of the resurrection of Jesus. Verses four and five. To an inheritance. So we've been born to a living hope and now we've been born to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by... God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What is this incorruptible inheritance? It is the fullness of salvation. The fullness of salvation, meaning not only the forgiveness of our sins, but much more than that. It's the transformation of our lives and the transformation of this creation. You see, we stand to inherit God's creation made new. As his adopted children born a second time to him, that's from the language of Peter for adoption, we stand to inherit as his children the world made new. We stand to inherit the new creation when Jesus Christ is revealed in glory. That means our cities will be renewed under the wise and loving reign of King Jesus when he returns, our vocations renewed under the apprenticeship to God's Holy Spirit, our families and relationships renewed within and under the loving care of God the Father. And we begin to enact that restoration now in our lives. And that's why we endure suffering. Whenever that enactment of that new creation, that new kingdom way of life, begins to pinch at points in our culture, when it begins to run up against other priorities or agendas or values. And so we must be ready to give a defense, an answer for that hope. And we'd love for it to stop right there, I think. But then six and seven happen. Peter says, in this you rejoice. And rightly so. Who doesn't want that kind of renewal? Who doesn't want that kind of hope? So in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, before we receive the fullness of our inheritance in the new creation, we will be tested. 
We will experience trials and sufferings for living out that new creation life of God's kingdom in the midst of this broken world where there are defeated forces that are still at work. Though defeated, they're still at work. But notice that suffering, testing, and trials do not have the final word. They do not have the final word in our lives. Rather, they refine and purify our faith, which produces what there in verse 7? Enduring praise, glory, and honor that will be revealed at the coming of Jesus Christ at his return. What Peter is saying is that our lives, as those who have been born again to a living hope, our lives have a particular trajectory. Our lives have a particular trajectory. We will, most likely, at some form, in some way, experience suffering. Whether it's not for doing what is good, if we, don't, if we're not suffer, if we don't experience suffering for that, we do experience suffering generally in this world. We will experience suffering, and we may even experience the suffering for doing what is right, but suffering does not have the final word in our lives. God and his blessing does. God and his blessing does. You see that, that phrase there, that the glory, the praise, and the honor that will be revealed, it is the glory and praise, the honor that we will give to Jesus for being right, the, the king overall when he returns, when he establishes his way on earth. But it's also the praise that God will give us. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And we will share in Christ's honor, and we will share in Christ's glory. This is the trajectory of the Psalms as a collection. Right? The whole early in the book of Psalms, so many laments that are just pouring out the pain and the sorrow of a world and the pain and the sorrow of our relationship with God when it doesn't seem to go the way we want it to go. But yet the book as a whole climaxes in what at the end? It's dominated by Psalms of praise. You see the trajectory there. And then even within most lament Psalms, it begins with expressing that pain and sorrow of a broken world, but climaxes often, but not always, in praise of God. We need to cue and clue ourselves into that trajectory. Now look with me. Let's round this out. Look with me at chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. Peter says, now, this is an odd passage. I get it. We're not going to get into the weeds and the details. I'd love to geek out with you later about this if you want. Um, but we're not going to get into the weeds here. I know this is weird, but it's not that weird. <laughs> for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, so crucified, being made alive in the Spirit or by the Spirit, resurrection, in which he went and proclaimed, that word for went is often associated with the ascension, which, we, which appears later, which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, those, those spiritual forces that contested God's rule, spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to him. Remember, Peter has just finished telling them that you need to be subjected. 
You need to subject yourselves to earthly powers. You need to subject yourselves even to unjust masters. And Christian wives, you need to subject yourselves to unbelieving husbands. And then now he's beginning to reveal the thing that underpins all that. And it's because there's this great reversal. is that Jesus has actually subjected everything to himself. Everything is subjected to him. Peter knows that we might think, well, golly, why does it have to be like this? Why is it like this? I would rather just avoid the suffering and be in the midst of praise all the time. I just want the praise, the honor, and the glory all the time. Why does it have to ha- why do we have to have this trajectory? So Peter's answer is that we have been united to God in Christ, and it's unavoidable for us because of our union with Christ. That is why Peter, that is what Peter means when he says that baptism saves us. Baptism saves only in that through the waters of baptism, God graciously, the act of God graciously uniting our lives to the suffering, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. That means that what is true of Jesus is true of us. That means the trajectory of his life. One where he humbles himself to become human and endure the subjection, endure suffering even to the point of death on the cross so that he might be exalted to the right hand of God where every knee will bow. That's Philippians 2. That trajectory is now yours. And we might might think, well, (laughs) no thank you to the first half. Love the second half, but no thank you to the first half. But Jesus' life shows us that in a world that's broken like this, this is the way. If you anyone watches Mandalorian, this is the way. So we can be confident because of our union with Christ through baptism, because baptism saves us by God's power, uniting us to Jesus' life, we can be confident that the trajectory of Christ's life will be true of our lives as well. There's no doubt then that even when we experience suffering, all of us are going to experience it, There's no doubt that that suffering will not have the final word in our lives, even if it ends in our death. Because for those who are united to Christ, the resurrection and the ascension win. They dominate. So in order to prepare us for suffering, Peter knows that we must see our lives in line with the life of Jesus who suffered unjustly for doing what is good, the righteous for the unrighteous. We must see that his way of life is ultimately victorious over suffering and death. You see, Jesus' suffering establishes a firm and confident hope that Christian suffering is ultimately victorious through his victory. We participate not only in the sufferings of Christ, as Paul says, I'm filling up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ, but we also participate in his victory, in his resurrection. That's the language of baptism. You've been raised to new life in him. And this is how Peter can assure us that when we suffer for doing good, we are following following the example of Christ who ultimately was vindicated. And as his followers, we will one day be vindicated as well at his return. And because Christ's suffering brings us to God, that's, that's what the whole purpose he suffered in order to bring you to God. And because Christ's suffering brings us to God, Now, no matter what we may face and endure in this life, 
before we experience the, the praise, the glory, the honor, no matter what we may face and endure in this life, we will see God. Full stop. Nothing can separate you, as Paul reminds us, from God. No sickness, no depression, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And here's why this is so important. This is why Peter's preparation for suffering is so important. When we face suffering, for whatever reason, we face the possibility of sliding into hopelessness. He knows this. He knows what it's like personally. Just go to the Gospels and and experience Peter's, uh, his quick turn into despair and hopelessness after Christ was betrayed and turned over to the hands of sinners and then crucified. He knows what it's like to go through suffering and for that to be, and that for that to just rip you right into this spiral of hopelessness. You see, hopelessness emerges in our hearts when we are unable to see our suffering within the true story of what God is doing in this world and in our lives through Christ. And this is not to say that when we experience suffering, there is not a process, a movement from a blurred vision of this truth to a clear realization of it in the particular circumstances of suffering. This is the book of Lamentations. Lamentations for three chapters just wrestles with God, actually bringing a law case against God. Why the heck have you allowed this to happen? He's kind of spiraling there. And then in chapter 3, He can just say, but then I remembered that you were a God full of compassion and mercy. There's a process often involved. But if we're not preparing ourselves, we're not going to remember. Our eyes will always be clouded by the tears of our pain and suffering. And so as we close this morning, the words of Mother Teresa, St. Teresa, are so poignant on this matter. She instructs us, remember, remember that the passion of Christ ends always in the joy of the resurrection of Christ. The passion of Christ always ends in the joy of the resurrection of Christ. So when you feel in your own heart the suffering of Christ, remember the resurrection has to come, has to come, it must come. Never let anything so fill you with sorrow as to make you forget the joy of Christ risen. End quote. Christ Church, this is why what we gather to do every Sunday is so vital to our lives. So vital to our lives because we must train our hearts and even our bodies through word and sacrament to not easily forget the truth and the joy of the resurrection. The truth and the joy of the ascension, even in the midst of those moments when we suffer. Because as Christians, no suffering, no pain, no sorrow, no loneliness, no humiliation, no anxiety, no depression, no bad decision, no decline in our health and abilities, not even death itself, will have the final word in our lives because of the resurrection victory of Jesus. 
So rejoice. Don't lose sight of it. Come here expectant to be trained in it every Sunday. Let it creep into your body and into your mind. Let it be our default response. And so that one time, that time when you suffer profoundly like the author Lamentations, once you pass through that process of grieving and wrestling with that suffering, may you remember. your life does not end there. That sorrow ends. Whether in life or in death, it ends. And then who picks up is the resurrection. Jesus Christ, the victorious one, picks you up and gives you joy beyond understanding, peace beyond understanding. Christ Church, take to heart, Mother Teresa. Remember that the passion of Jesus Christ always ends in the resurrection joy of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.